0: Welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Knight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And Today on the show, we're talking about Kiwis buying property from overseas. So, there are so many Kiwis out there, about a million of us who live overseas, and many of you are earning really good money, some of you are listening to the show, and want to buy a piece of New Zealand, piece of paradise, so when you come back, you've got something to come back to. But how do you do it, and what are the bank rules? That's what we're going to cover here in today's episode. How do you buy a piece of New Zealand if you're currently living overseas? Now, Andrew... The main thing I was thinking about when preparing for the show is what's driving those Kiwis to want to invest back home while they're overseas. And you had some interesting things to say.
1: Well, so often people are moving overseas temporarily and they've got the intention of coming home at some stage, maybe sped up with COVID, but maybe not. And they want to take action now so that it's not unaffordable. They're not entering an unaffordable market if they return to, say, Auckland in 10 years' time. And while Kiwis are overseas, they're often earning substantially more money compared to back at home, the same role back at home. So right now, their servicing is really, really strong, better than it would be if they were living back in New Zealand. And so they wanna build portfolios now while they're overseas because their servicing won't be as good when they come back. And I see this quite a lot, especially because often you'll see the interest rate on savings accounts over in say, place like Singapore might be 0%. So there's no point having cash there. You want to actually have something happening with your money. And so they'll bring that back and that will form a deposit to buy an investment property here.
0: And you might think, but Ed and Andrew, aren't income scaled? And what I mean by that is, don't the banks only take a portion of your overseas income into account when assessing you? And the answer is absolutely. So if you're trying to get a loan from a bank that's in New Zealand, they're not going to take all of your income into account when it comes to a servicing, generally speaking. So if you're currently working in Australia, they'll scale you down to 80%, some banks. Some banks will actually accept all of your income, but it'll be somewhere between 80% and 100% of income that they're actually going to account. Now for other countries, other than Australia, they're often scaling this down to 60%. So 40% of your income is not going to be used or counted in some of these servicing calculations. So you're like, well, great, you might be earning more money, but how is that going to help you if your income's being scaled? And I think one thing that a lot of Kiwis don't realise is just how much more money some industries or some people earn overseas compared to in New Zealand. So there's one investor working with us at the moment, living overseas in the United Arab Emirates, earns after tax, after tax, 800k a year. Now, if that person did the same job in New Zealand, they'd be earning somewhere about 200 to 250k before tax. So their income is roughly four to five times higher overseas than what it would be at home. So even if you look at their scaled down income after you take 40% off, which the bank is going to do, then the income available for servicing is still two to three times higher than it would be if at home. So their servicing in some instances, this won't be everybody, but sometimes we see people on really high incomes overseas, living in some of these smaller but high income countries, and then they've got the ability to invest quite substantially back home while they're overseas because they're taking advantage while their incomes are really high. But look, it's not just scaling down of income like this, which is different if you're overseas, because the banks will treat other types of income differently. So Andrew, what about some other types of income like business income or bonuses?
1: Yeah, so business income is a really tough one. Basically, the banks won't even look at it. So if you're self-employed or own your own business, it's pretty much tough luck. For bonus income, they'll use half of it. So say you get 40 grand a year, half of that is 20, then they're gonna scale it down by the 40% that they shade it by anyway. So so there's only 12,000 that actually counts towards your servicing. And one of the little tricks there is bonus and commission income needs to be paid quarterly or monthly or more frequently to count. Annual bonuses don't count at all. So if you get an annual bonus from your company, you basically have to write that off from a servicing standpoint.
0: Now, in terms of how they're going to treat your expenses as well, there are some little things that are different. So you've still got to pass all the usual credit contracts and Consumer Finance Act stuff, and they'll they'll treat it the same as a New Zealand loan. But, and this is interesting... Any payments you make on your overseas mortgages, so if you're living in the UAE and you've got a mortgage on a house over there, they are taken as the actual payments you make. They're not scaled to the test rates. So obviously here in New Zealand, if you've got an owner-occupier house, they're going to increase or they're going to test that mortgage at a higher interest rate. They'll actually only use your actual mortgage repayments if it's an overseas property. So little bonus there or little silver lining there. But well, what you might be thinking is you might think, oh, Andrew and Ed, I'm not one of these people who are on some of those enormous incomes that you just talked about. I don't earn 800k a year. What if I use a non-bank lender based in New Zealand in order to be able to purchase?
1: So no is the short answer. Generally speaking, non-bank lenders aren't interested in this either. Same as the bank's rules. So they use the same rules as the bank. So they're probably not going to be your golden ticket here. However, what you could look at is maybe a bank that operates internationally. So HSBC, for example, can sometimes make things work.
0: That's really interesting. And the other thing that I want to get your take on, Andrew, is around how the deposits work.
1: Yeah, if you're using cash, so you're using a cash deposit to buy your investments over in New Zealand, that's pretty straightforward. You just transfer it over. There can be thresholds in the amount that you can transfer internationally, so you might have to break it down into chunks. But generally speaking, you're just making a transfer and it's pretty straightforward. If you're borrowing your deposit against an existing holiday home or an investment property, or maybe even you still own your own house in New Zealand, then sometimes you can get 80% LVR from some of the banks. But generally speaking, it will be 70% LVR maximum on a holiday home or your own house. And then again, if it's an existing rental, it's going to be 60% anyway.
0: But what I want to know is how does it work... If the property I want to borrow against for my deposit is based overseas, so say I'm living in the UAE, much to your delight, and I own a property over here, I want to borrow the deposit for my my New Zealand-based investment property, how does that work? Do I just get another mortgage from whichever bank I'm currently with overseas?
1: Yeah, correct. So whoever has your mortgage at the moment is where you'll get the lending from. So you'll go into your bank overseas, you'll borrow the amount you need for the New Zealand deposit, and then you'll transfer that money over. Now, you can't use an international security for a New Zealand property, but sometimes, again, if you use someone like an HSBC, I have seen them do things outside of that, but you have to have an international bank to be able to do that. And often the divisions might be separate. So I think HSBC are the only ones that can do something like that
0: so basically what you're saying is I go into my bank of the United Arab Emirates or whatever the bank happens to be I chop up my mortgage like I usually would in New Zealand and then I transfer the money over is that right correct I've got some questions around tax as well, because that's where I could imagine it'd get interesting, but we'll come back to the tax questions. One other thing that's quite a bit harder if you are a Kiwi overseas and wanting to buy in New Zealand is split banking, and it comes down to AML, Anti-Money Laundering Legislation. Now, the trouble with AML is that you're only able to work with banks who generally you already have a relationship with. And that's because it's really hard to start a New Zealand bank account if you're overseas. And there are some other things, like BNZ requires you to be in New Zealand to open a bank account. And if you're trying to get a mortgage from Westpac, you've got to post hard copies of all original docs into New Zealand. So it's really difficult to get that stuff set up. So how do you get around this? Well, A, you could just work with the banks that you already have a relationship with. You might have one or two But the other option is that when you are back in New Zealand, and I remember we talked about this back in like episode 360 with Tony Mounts, open up a whole heap of bank accounts when you're in New Zealand. But it's not enough to just open up these bank accounts, you've also got to go through the AML process. So you've got to fill out all the documents and ask to go through it. I'm talking about IRD forms, IDs, giving proof of address, all of that stuff, so that you're approved from an AML perspective by the time you go back. But what I want to know, Andrew, is how common is this? Do you actually see a whole heap of New Zealanders buying property in New Zealand when they're based overseas?
1: Yep, absolutely. And sometimes couples where maybe one person lives overseas and one person lived in New Zealand and they've moved overseas, they've met, they've shacked up, and now they're wanting to come back to New Zealand at some stage, maybe when they've had kids, but they're wanting to invest in the market. I work with a number of investors who are international investors, but from New Zealand originally. And actually... Peter Norris from our mortgage firm Catalyst has actually got 10 applications on the go right now, which is quite interesting because Tony Alexander's real estate survey said that a net 48% of agents finding fewer overseas buyers in the market. Now, again, that might just be because we deal in investment all day, every day. And sometimes, you know, the surveys might just be someone licking their finger and putting it in the air and saying, yeah, I don't think I've seen as many international investors, but we certainly see it quite a bit.
0: Now, actually, I'll tell you what, Andrew, one of the things that I need to ask Tony about here is the question that real estate agents get asked is, are you receiving more or fewer inquiries from offshore? But I need to ask him whether he gives a time frame of that because my question has always been, yes. well, over a what period and what constitutes more or fewer? Is it fewer compared to last month or is it more compared to 12 months ago? Because you'd give a different answer depending on what it is. But no- yes. nonetheless, that's a tangent for another day. Now, my question really is about the tax side of it. So if I buy a property in New Zealand, Well, actually, what happens? Can I buy it in my own name? And then what happens with the tax situation?
1: You would be subject to the tax in your country, I believe.
0: So you're saying if I move to Australia and start buying properties in New Zealand, my interest is now deductible?
1: Yes, I believe so.
0: What if I structure it in a trust and it's a New Zealand-based trust?
1: I don't know. Do I look like Matthew Harris?
0: (laughs) Well, you don't have the bed for it. But I tell you what, we'll have to get him on the show to talk about it fantastic let's wrap it up there but please don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the podcast really does help us get the message out to more people and hey if you want to learn more about property with andrew and i subscribe to our youtube channel every single wednesday i release a new video to teach you something new about how to be a successful property investor right here in new zealand Temple swap over the cover art i'll drop a link in there where you can subscribe or just google Opus partners youtube it'll be the first thing that comes up Thanks for listening to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Epic Knight. And I'm Andrew Knuckle. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.